Thank you for listening to this talk, produced by the Art Gallery of South Australia. Namani, everyone. Are you good? Are you well? Yes, good. Um, we've got a bit of a different format for today's lunchtime talk. Uh, today you've got two curators for the price of one. Um, so I have asked my colleague Craig Middleton uh, to, to join us, um, and he's a curator at the Centre of Democracy, a couple of doors down. Um, and today we're talking about this painting by British artist Gustav Schmaltz, um, and its title is Zenobia's Last Look at Pal Palmyra. Um, you guys might be quite familiar with this painting, and um, uh, it has been on display at the gallery probably for over 130 years, almost continuous display. Uh, but first, um, Exa Ghana Yuwanthi, Yaktanga Yuwanthi, and Exa stands on Ghana land. And um, today, when I acknowledge um, the Ghana people of Adelaide, Taranangya Adelaide, I'd like to, um, I was just thinking about how it's been a really cold and wet uh, few weeks. And um, I was looking up on the um, Bureau of Meteorology, their indigenous weather radar. And if you haven't yet, I'd um, encourage you to do so because the, um, the Ghana name for winter is Kudlila. And Kudlila means um, the earth is washed by rain during this time. And I thought that was really nice to think about. <laughs> um, for me, my renewed interest in this painting, Zenobia, has come from um, a conversation with our um, wonderful gallery supporter and board member, Susan Armitage. <laughs> okay. And um, so that conversation was actually only earlier this year. And Susan had um, visited an exhibition in Doha at the Museum of Islamic Art. Um, and visited an exhibition titled Syria Matters, and I have the, the catalogue here. This is the catalogue. So, I will just open to a page where there is a painting of Zenobia that looks almost exactly, it is a replica of our Zenobia in the AXA collection. So Susan drew my attention to that painting and it kind of precipitated a lot of conversations and research about Zenobia. Um, the, the copy um, that was on display at the Museum of Islamic Art in Doha is in the collection of the Museum of Oriental Art and um, it was on loan to this exhibition, Syria Matters, um, uh, which opened last year um, and continued until uh, early this year. The painting was by, the, the copy is about half the size of Schmaltz's Zenobia, and it was painted by a South Australian artist named Amy Bosworth uh, in 1892, so four years after this 1888 painting uh, was painted in Britain. And that led me to a few obvious questions. Who was Amy Bosworth, and why did she copy this painting? Perhaps it's um, helpful at this point to just uh, talk briefly about the history of Zenobia in the AXA collection. Um, it was one of the first paintings acquired by the then National Gallery of South Australia, and it was acquired in 1890 from an exhibition um, 
that had not yet reached Adelaide. So it was purchased in 1890 from this exhibition, Exhibition of British Art by the Royal Anglo-Australian Society of Artists. This exhibition traveled to Melbourne and Sydney before it arrived in Adelaide um, in late 1890 and was on display 1890-1891. In 1890, the gallery obviously was not in this building yet because this building was only built in 1900, so we were still a few doors down at what is now the State Library. Zenobia was purchased for, and really amazing, £945 uh, in 1890. And the exhibition, organised by the Royal Anglo-Australian Society of Artists, was a society that was set up kind of in the wake of uh, the um, exhibition movement post-1888, uh, in conjunction with the Royal Academy in London, and it was set up to bring British paintings yearly to Adelaide, Melbourne and Sydney. And I can only find records of this happening twice, so I think it was a really expensive exercise, and, um, but it was really fortunate because there were two paintings actually in that first exhibition that were uh, purchased for the, art, the then National Gallery, now the Art Gallery of South Australia. So Schmaltz's Zenobia was acquired as I said, before the exhibition opened in Melbourne, and the stipulation of the purchase was that it had to remain in the travelling exhibition before uh, it arrived in the gallery, but actually the travelling exhibition happened in the gallery, so it was all one and the same in a way. Um, do you want me to give you a brief kind of background about Zenobia? Yes, okay, so Zenobia, um, it was the Queen of Palmyra, which is in modern-day Syria. And she, her, she, was, she reigned um, in Palmyra in the 3rd century AD. Um, and under her reign, she expanded her imp empire through uh, modern-day Egypt and Turkey. And she claimed ancestry from Cleopatra. Um, and was successful in really pulling back and gaining control over um, parts of uh, Egypt and Turkey from the Roman Empire. She's closely associated um, with uh, ideas about um, uh, protecting of religious rights because some people think that Zenobia may have been Jewish, of Jewish descent, um, and she's associated with um, governing a, a very multicultural society that supported Judaism and Christianity and protected the rights of religious and ethnic minorities. Um, and this painting is from the date uh, 272 AD, the exact um, time where the Roman Emperor Aurelian uh, conquered her city of Palmyra. And she's, here she is standing, um, standing on the steps witnessing the fall of her city. The, the sun is going down, the fires are, are rising up, and she's shown in these heavy chains of gold, um, about to be taken back to Rome, where she would have been paraded in Aurelian's triumph. Um, there's differently kind of conflicting accounts of whether she um, got back to Rome. Some Roman sources say that she was given a house at Tivoli, um, so quite maybe a nicer exile than 
we may have anticipated, but other sources say that she either committed suicide or died of starvation on the way. Um, in contemporary society, Zenobia is still very much seen um, by Syrian people as a national hero. And on the Syrian 200-pound note is an image of Zenobia. Um, she's important particularly to Syrians, I think, um, today in 2019 and for all of us um, when we think about um, the, the way in which Palmyra was one of the first cities that um, fell to ISIS and the destruction of the people and a lot of the monuments there. So I think this um, idea of Zenobia being um, a cultural hero and a figurehead really um, is as poignant today as it, as it was um, in 1888 or in 272 for that matter. Gustav Schmaltz um, was a British painter and he was um, in his early 30s when he painted this um, painting of Zenobia. He's known primarily for his um, flower paintings and history and biblical paintings. And he um, had a, a strong interest in the Middle East. He actually traveled to Jerusalem after this painting uh, was made in 1890 um, to look at um, scenes and um, depict paintings uh, of the area. He was associated um, with the Royal Academy. He had a long and su successful career. And after World War I, he changed his surname to Carmichael to uh, you know, not be associated with his, um, his father's German roots. Um, what is interesting is this exhibition of British art was organized um, really through uh, the patronage of Frederick Leighton, who was then the president of the Royal Academy at the time. And what I realized was that uh, Schmaltz and Leighton actually had studios next door to each other in Holland Park. And so it's probably, there, I mean, it would be interesting to see if the conversations around um, this painting being produced and then only a few years later, or maybe a year later, it was uh, traveling to Australia for this exhibition. As far as I can tell, Schmaltz didn't come to Melbourne, Sydney or Adelaide with the painting. But I'm sure we could do some further research on that. Um, so the painting came for this exhibition and by 1892 it was on display in the National Gallery of South Australia and it was there that the 20-year-old Amy Bosworth saw the painting and copied it. Um, Amy Bosworth was an English-born daughter of a South Australian politician, John Bosworth, and she studied briefly um, under H.P. Gill at Adelaide School of Design. Um, which was a technical school that had been set up by the South Australian Society for the Arts in 1861. So by the 1890s, when Amy Bosworth was taking classes um, at the Adelaide School of Design, um, the numbers of women in classes had skyrocketed. They're, they outnumbered men, even though that it, was a, it was a school for both men and women. And the School of Design provided um, formal art training and certification for men and women um, who aspired to be professional artists. So 
drawing and drawing as copying was one of the main um, main classes taught um, at the um, at the School of Design. And drawing for reproduction um, was particularly important because by the 1890s, in a Depression era Adelaide, the income that could be um, you know that could be gained from working in advertising or copying paintings was particularly important and particularly important for women who before that time maybe didn't have to um, rely on their own income. So I think that's a really um, important point. I'm not sure whether um, Amy Bosworth was inspired by um, Zenobia herself, whether she saw it as um, maybe a, an income stream to copy this painting, but she did copy um, this painting quite faithfully and in the reviews um, uh, a lot of reviewers talk about how the likeness of Amy Bosworth's painting was in terms of technical skill and colour and she actually exhibited her Zenobia in Rundle Street and later that year in 1892 by May she was exhibiting it in Melbourne and then it went on to win a prize at an art show in Kapunda. I don't know the rest of the history, but there is a big gap. Um, perhaps that's a good place for me to stop and introduce Craig. Thanks. Yeah, clap. Yeah, clap. That was great. <laughs> um, so my name's Craig. Um, I'm the curator of the Centre of Democracy. Uh, thank you, uh, Alice, for inviting me. So I'm just going to take you into the broader historical context of South Australia in the, in the late 19th century. Um, and there's some interesting connections that I've found with this, um, some of the, the details of this painting. Um, so I'm from the Centre of Democracy, so I am going to talk about political process. But, you know, in the 1850s, when South Australia was setting up its parliament, its um, constitution, women were um, little regarded in those debates. Their political status was not established in a Western context. And when they were discussing who was eligible to vote, who wasn't eligible to vote, women didn't come up in those conversations. So that's sort of how our political systems were structured from the early days of the colony. It wasn't until 1885 that um, Dr. Edward Stirling, who was also a parliamentarian in the South Australian Parliament, um, made a speech in the uh, Legislative Assembly about the political franchise for women, so women's suffrage um, or votes for women. He drew um, on a lot of cultural context for this, um, this talk. He drew on ancient times and the political status of women in ancient Greece and Rome, and then how that changed through the Enlightenment, and then this sort of lack of political status that women had in uh, post-Enlightenment. He then drew on early examples of women getting the vote, the first being in the territory of Wyoming in the, in the United States in the late 1860s, um, and then Colorado in the 1880s. And this speech, you know, got a good hear here uh, when, he, when he presented it, and there seemed to be a general consensus that it was, you know, yeah, that's a great idea. Um, but when a bill um, was proposed the following year, it didn't go through. So something needed to happen in South Australia. Some, they needed to organise. People needed to organise to win this, to win this um, 
fight, I suppose. So in 1888, and that's my first connection, 1888 is when the Women's Suffrage League was formed. This painting was created in 1888. So we're thinking about this painting as an international painting and maybe the social context of women in this period. So the Women's Suffrage League here in South Australia formed with the single goal to advocate for equal voting rights between men and women. Um, they aligned with other organisations, including the Working Women's um, Trade Union and the Women's Christian Temperance Union, so thinking about broader subsets of the community, to advocate for this goal. There were seven attempts to change the law here in South Australia, seven failed bills. And um, it wasn't until 1894 that a petition was presented to the House of Assembly with 11,600 signatures um, of men and women throughout the colony in support of women's suffrage. This uh, petition, there's a beautiful entry that says it was tied up in a gold ribbon, um, which was the colours of the Women's Suffrage League. But this petition was huge in the context of the 1890s. Um, and that was the tipping point. And by December that same year, a bill was passed um, that meant that um, women in South Australia were enfranchised to vote. It would be made law the following year with the assent of the Queen and then women began voting here from 1896 which was the following election. Now so if we're thinking about um, the young artist in the 1890s and 1892, all of this stuff was happening around her. A young woman in South Australia, there's all this activism around women's role in society, women's work, women's you know, ability to own property, all of these things. And um, from um, 1888 to 1891, this is another connection with, with Zenobia, um, 27 letters between this period were, were um, published in the South Australian Register, and all of them were signed off with the nom de plume, Zenobia. So, so women in South Australia, a woman, multiple women, we couldn't know, these are letters to the editor, they were using Zenobia as a symbol of women's empowerment. And just to conclude, I'm going to read you some of the entries, um, just to give you a sense of the type of activism that was happening. Sir, can you tell me how humans of the male gender, commonly called men, have any more right to the ballot than have women? Appealing to the essential equities and verities, where do adult men acquire the right to elect representatives of themselves with rightful authority and power to make laws for the government of adult women? The only right of the men to do these things is the right of brute force, but might does not constitute right. Adult men have not and cannot have any right to vote which the women do not possess. Grant that women is to take a second place in marriage. Does that prove that she is to have no status at all in the body politic? This letter, 13th of July, 1888. Sir, strange to say many persons imagine that the possession of the vote, which would legally introduce women to political responsibility, would injure her proper womanliness and domesticity. In Queen Victoria, we see the heaviest political responsibility and the most constant political duty do not in any way detract from the most thorough womanliness. This letter goes on. Surely if the Queen can discharge all family duty and yet spend hours daily in connection with the grave duties of imperial government, 
Ordinary women at intervals of two or three years could put a ballot paper into a box, yet retain all feminine grace and form the centres of love and light within their homes. <laughs> and the last letter of the whole series um, was published in the register on the 6th of March, 1891, and reads, South Australia is not a democracy. Democracy means government by the people. The people consist in about equal proportions of men and women, but the women are excluded from voting. They have no share in the government of the country. Half the people are shut from the elective power. Now, these are just some excerpts, excerpts from these letters, and I think they're really powerful, but what these letters from Zenobia, as they're called now, represent is the influence of cultural production on women right here in South Australia and, and the way that the world was heavily connected um, in that period. Thank you. Does anyone have any questions for Craig? Any questions for Alex or myself? But I think it's also important to think that in 1880, when the National Gallery was established, the uh, acquisitions budget from Parliament was £2,000. So that was, you know, almost half the total acquisitions budget. Yeah. I think it was paid for privately, though, the £945. Yeah. Hi. Mm -hmm. um, do you get a sense of the excitement surrounding it? Like it seemed to have a real impact, that reaction. That yeah. There's really n not a lot. I don't know if in your trove, tro uh, trove no, troving. <laughs> there, there really isn't. I mean, a lot of the information that I have are from gallery documents. I don't think there was um, a huge yeah, there wasn't a huge number of reviews. I mean, there were, seems to be more reviews of Amy Bosworth's Zenobia than this exhibition, which you're welcome to have a look through the catalogue. It includes, you know, a number of really well-established artists, including Schmaltz and, um, and Frederick Layton. So it's, it's interesting there. I mean, perhaps the, the conversations were happening more on the ground, you know, at art schools rather than... Um, actually being published um, reviews in the paper. Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, I imagine that's the case, actually, because um, most of the communication, public communication, was happening through letters to the editor, but not all of them would have been accepted. So it was probably mm. a lot of talks, public meetings, if you were, you know, talking about recording excitement. Yeah, and I'm not sure to what extent Amy Bosworth was inspired or she had a particular connection with this painting. It's, um, I know that she never married, and um, she produced a, a lot of paintings throughout her life, primarily um, uh, flower paintings, actually the same, similar to Schmaltz. And we did have some of her works in the galleries, 
collection, um, I think until the 60s, and then um, one painting was, that we had was deaccessioned. Yeah. I have no idea. Do you know, Susan? How did Amy's painting get to Doha? <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't, I saw that one I mean, it would be fascinating. It, she, Amy Bosworth and her Zenobia painting, after 1892, there's no other records of her exhibiting it. So I'm not sure if it was purchased or, um, yeah, I'm, I don't know the history of the provenance. But um, you're welcome to have a look at the catalogue record of the Bosworth painting in here, if you like. They do know it's here, yeah. So the curator of this museum did contact us with questions about Zenobia, yeah. Um, but it wasn't, uh, it wasn't requested for loan. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, half the size and already there, yeah. <laughs> Hi. Yeah, I mean, I guess what's important is that there was a whole, um, uh, I mean, a whole era of copying that, I mean, reproductive copying wasn't just people copying paintings. I mean, printmaking, um, there, it was um, really, really significant part of not only the training of artists, but also the way in which, you know, one painting could be democratised through printmaking or other copies. So yeah, but um, before the advent of photography and even when photography was um, only, uh, you know, not being used um, as widely as it is today, copying was, uh, it was kind of maybe a rite of passage to copy the great masters. And uh, I mean, the, you know, the South Australian schools, the Royal Academy schools, that would have been, um, you know, kind of a really basic, uh, um, type of um, education and art training. Yeah. Any other questions for me or Craig? Hi. I don't. I don't know what why Schmaltz particularly was interested in Zenobia. Um, I'm not sure. I know that uh, he was very drawn to. Um, 
scenes from this period. Um, I mean, there were other, there are other examples of Zenobia Tiepolo, painted Zenobia in 1717. So it was, um, she was, you know, an inspiration for artists, but I'm not quite sure why Schmaltz chose her as um, the subject for this painting. Yeah. Hi, Claire. I don't know. No. Sure, yes. Further research, yeah. definitely. Thank you all very much, and thanks, Craig. <laughs>